please. Today's sermon, today's sermon is an encore sermon. So I invite you to sit back, slip your shoes off, listen to a story, which is your story, and if your mind begins to wander, go walk about, consider that a gift from the Holy Spirit. A long, long time ago, God chose an old man and an old woman to be the founders of a mighty nation. God said, Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham. And your wife, Sari, I'm changing her name to Sarah. You are going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky or grains of sand on the seashore. You will have your own land and all nations will bless themselves by your name. Abraham laughed. My wife, she's too old to have babies. When Sarah got the news, she laughed out loud. She guffawed. She blew the milk out her nose. <laughs> My husband, he's too old to start a family. Well, it took a long time, and the promise had to be repeated several times, but eventually Sarah got pregnant, and she delivered a fine little handsome baby boy and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. Laughter came into their tent. Now, when Isaac grew up and it was time for him to get married, we're skipping that dreadful near-death story. It was time for him to get married. Abraham called in his senior most trusted slash slave and sent him on a long journey to the big city with instructions to bring back a wife for Isaac. He brought back Rebekah. Isaac took Rebekah into his mother's tent and they became husband and wife and he loved her. And she was a great comfort to him following the recent death of his mother. It took Rebekah a long time to get pregnant and when she was pregnant, she was pregnant with twins and they were sibling rivals even in the womb. It was like a war going on in there. She would have died. She went and talked to God about it. And God said, you have two nations in your womb and the older will serve the younger. Now, when it was time for the birth, the first one came out all red and hairy, like covered with a mantle of fur. They named him Esau, which means all red and hairy. The second one came out holding on to his older brother's heel. So they named him Jacob, which means heel or trickster. Now Esau grew up to be a great outdoorsman and a hunter. He was his father's favorite. Isaac had a taste for wild game. Jacob grew up to be a smooth man. He liked to hang around the tents and cook. He was his mother's favorite no reason given. Now the great promise and blessing given to Abraham was passed on to Isaac and by right scheduled to go to the older brother Esau, but Rebekah recruited Jacob and the two of them tricked Isaac into giving it all over to Jacob. Well, then Jacob got out of town real fast. His mother said, your brother is threatening to kill you. You need to leave town till his temper cools, I'll send for you. His father said, son, 
It's time you got married, and none of these local girls are good enough for you. You go live with Uncle Laban, pick a wife from his household. So Jacob left with nothing but the shirt on his back. He was gone for 20 years, and when he returned, he was a wealthy man. Camels, cattle, sheep, goats, men slaves, women slaves, two wives, two concubines, and Rachel, his beloved, pregnant with the 12th boy. The brothers met up, they reconciled, but, but they didn't build houses next door to each other. So Jacob settled in the land of Canaan, the land promised to his ancestors. He had 12 sons and his favorite son, his favorite son was Joseph, the son of his old age. He doted on the boy, gave him a coat with long sleeves and many colors. He was a tattletale on his brothers, and he had dreams, dreams which always featured himself as the center of the universe. And he tactlessly shared these dreams with just about everybody. His brothers, seeing their father loved him more than all the rest, could no longer speak shalom to him, and they plotted his murder. Then at the very last minute, instead of murdering him, they sold him as a slave. Joseph went down to Egypt as a slave, and through a remarkable series of plot reversals and dream interpretations, he became governor of all of Egypt. He had interpreted Pharaoh's dreams to pre predict that there would be seven years of bumper crops, followed by seven years of crop failures, seven fat years, followed by seven lean years, and that the solution for this down-the-road disaster was to start saving now. So Pharaoh put him in charge. Pharaoh said, in all of Egypt, not a hand or foot will move except by permission of Joseph in all matters, except for the throne itself. And he gave him a gold chain of office, a gold signet ring, the second best chariot in the kingdom, a brand new Armani suit, an Egyptian wife, trophy wife, and an Egyptian name. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into service of Pharaoh. He immediately laid a 20% surcharge on all grain production. He built storage barns, and when those filled, he built more filled, they built more storage barns. And when those filled, they stored the grain on the ground. It was like grains of sand on the seashore. And after seven years, the crops began to fail. All of Egypt went to Joseph to trade for grain. It spread worldwide. The whole world was soon coming to Joseph to trade for grain. Then one day, who should show up in Joseph's court but his brothers? They did not recognize him. They did not recognize him until he stepped down from his throne and said, I am Joseph, your brother, his father well. They were terrified. They fell on their faces. But he said to them, get up. Be not afraid. You meant it for evil. God used it for good to save the family. Now go home and get dad and the whole family and come settle here in Egypt where you will all be safe. Seventy strong, they settled in Egypt. And over the years and over the centuries, they became a very prosperous nation 
within the much, much larger nation of Egypt. Then one day there came to power a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph and what Joseph had done, and he was afraid. He was afraid that in time of war, the Israelites would side with the enemy, and in his fear, he enslaved them. Harsh taskmasters, heavy burden, and yet they continued to prosper, so he ordered something truly wicked. All newborn baby boys will be thrown in the Nile and drowned. Miraculously, one escaped. Moses was brought up in Pharaoh's own household. The year that Moses turned 40, he went down to check on his family and in a sudden rage murdered an Egyptian. He fled out to the desert, came to a well, met a little group of drop-dead gorgeous sisters who were tending their father's sheep. They took him home to meet dad, Jethro, a priest of Midian. He married one of them, Zipporah, and then for the next 40 years, he worked for his father-in-law in the sheep herding business in the desert until he met God in the burning bush. God said, go to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses argued, God prevailed. So he went to Pharaoh and said, God tells me to tell you to let his people go. Pharaoh refused. Then began the plagues. God would send down a plague. Pharaoh would say, okay, you can go. The plague would be canceled. Pharaoh would change his mind, cancel it. The plague would start again. Let's see if we can remember at least some of them. The first one, of course, water to blood. Frogs, even in the mixing bowls. Lice, darkness, death of cattle, locust, boils. The very last one, the angel of death, came through the land of Egypt and killed every firstborn from pharaohs down to the lowest handmaids, except for those houses that had the blood of the lamb on the lintel and, and posts. The angel of death passed over those homes, at which time Pharaoh and all of Egypt said, go, leave, get out of here, here. Take our gold and jewels, jewelry with you. Just go. They left so fast they didn't have time for the bread to rise in the oven. They headed out towards the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. Pharaoh changed his mind again, sent the chariots after them, trapped against the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. The chariots followed. The tide came in. And the next morning, the seashore was littered with dead Egyptians. The women led the victory dance. Forty years in the desert they wandered. God gave them the Ten Commandments. And after 40 years, Moses died. He was allowed to see the promised land, but not enter the promised land. He was replaced by his chief lieutenant, Joshua. Joshua led them into the promised land. The Jordan River stopped so they could cross on dry ground. And then they settled, that is, conquered the promised land. Then came the days of the judges. There was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. A whole string of absolutely bloody, gory stories, totally unsuitable for middle school children to ever read. but also the days of Ruth, 
which is just the loveliest, loveliest story in all of scripture. Then the people began to clamor with God. They said, we want a king. God said, beg your pardon, I'm your king. No, no, God, you just don't understand. All proper human countries have a human king. Finally, God said, very well, you do not know what you are asking for, but you may have a king. Saul was chosen as the first king. He was chosen because he was tallest and best looking. But he turned out to be a bit of a disappointment. And it's almost like everything he touched turned to sand. And in a great battle with the Philistines, gravely wounded, and rather than be captured and tortured, he fell on his sword. Saul was succeeded by his son-in-law, David. David, the youngest son in a shepherd's family, played the harp, wrote psalms, he killed Goliath, and for that he got to marry the king's daughter. Now David is remembered as the greatest king who ever lived, though he did have a wildly dysfunctional personal and family life. Let's capture some of the highlights. He fell in love with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and had Uriah killed in battle so that he could take Bathsheba as a wife. Not long after that, one of his sons, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar, and was in turn murdered by her brother, Absalom, who raised an army and almost toppled the throne. David lived to a ripe old age, and when he died, he was succeeded by his son, Solomon, his son by Bathsheba. But the, God, but the kings and the people were drifting away from God, and when Solomon died, the kingdom divided north from south. The drift away from God continued, and God sent an army and conquered the northern tribes, all taken into exile, never to be heard from again, except by rumor the lost tribes of Israel. The South continued as an independent kingdom, a quarrelsome little lot, with Jerusalem as the capital. The drift away from God continued. God sent an army and captured the South, captured Jerusalem, and all the lawyers and all the doctors, all the governing class, all the Episcopalians were taken into exile. A puppet king was set up, he rebelled, the army came back, the walls were torn down, the temple was destroyed, and all but the lowest of low taken in to exile to be gone for 40 years, 70 years, finally allowed to drift back, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple, but never again an independent kingdom except for one little chunk of time. Finally, God sent the prophets and they preached, rend your hearts and not your garments. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Someday these dry bones will rise again. A young woman is pregnant with the Messiah. Finally, God sent his only son, born in a stable, baptized in the Jordan by John and anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, led or driven into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. He gathered his followers and he went about preaching, and teaching, and healing, doing miracles. He cured a blindness, deafness, raised a dead man to life, turned gallons and gallons of water into gallons and gallons of wine so a wedding feast could continue. 
the Baptists tell it the other way around. <laughs> Notably, he would eat with and talk with absolutely anybody. When he fed the 5,000, he did not say, all you clean people can have a picnic with me. No, he said, everybody tuck in. Everybody. And this one, you're not going to believe this. But one day, at the hottest part of the day, his disciples found him by himself at a well with a woman by herself. And not just any woman, but a Samaritan woman with a very sketchy marital history. Why, that one act probably broke half the rules in the book. He turned his face to Jerusalem, and when he got there, he offended the wrong people. He was immediately arrested, tried, convicted, and sentenced to death in the most tortured, degrading, humiliating public method possible. All except for a very few of his followers bolted, buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days on, three days on, a handful of women went down to the tomb to, the minister, to minister to the body. And when they got there, the tomb was empty. There was an angel there. And the angel said, he is not here. He is risen. Go tell the rest. My friends in Christ, that is the story of Jesus and Jesus' family. And that is your story too. Because when you are baptized, you are adopted into and grafted onto the family of Jesus, the body of Christ. Why? For one reason only, because God loves you exactly as you are, without reservation, more than you can ask or begin to imagine. Now, go tell the rest. Amen.